Welcome to the Thought Leadership Project, a podcast by Jay Harrington and Tom Nixon, exploring how lawyers can turn expertise into thought leadership and thought leadership into new business. Welcome back to another episode of the Thought Leadership Project podcast. I'm your host, Jay Harrington. Uh, With me is my guest host, or my co-host, I should say, Tom Nixon. Hi, Tom. Hey, Jay. How are you? Doing well, thank you. Yeah, good to be back. Yeah, um, and we've got a we've got a special guest on the episode today, uh, Spencer X Smith, who is um, someone who I have just met for the first time here in the context of this podcast episode. But I see him all the time um, on LinkedIn and, and other social platforms, and I really admire what he does. And it speaks to what the issue the issues that we talk about here on this podcast, which is you know kind of building your brand online and sharing your thought leadership and a authentic way. And, and Spencer, I think, certainly um, stands for that proposition. Um, he's a founder of a, um, a consulting agency called uh, Amplify Social Media Strategies. Um, they're based in Madison, Wisconsin. He's an instructor at the University of Wisconsin and Rutgers University, and he was the formerly uh, the vice president of sales for two Fortune 100 companies. Um, Spencer, welcome to the podcast. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. And, you know, before we get started with the topic that we're going to talk about today, which is public speaking and how lawyers can leverage the power of public speaking, um, you know, as we record this podcast, I know you're in Madison. I know you teach at University of Wisconsin. Um, Tom and I are both alumni of the University of Michigan. So we're coming off. Uh, Jay, 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 I have to interrupt. <laughs> too, too soon, too soon. <laughs> oh, how, why are we going to be poking at that nerve? No, 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 no. Yeah, well, it's more, I, I don't really care all that much. I, I'm, a, I'm a law school graduate of U of M. Tom, I know you're an undergrad one, and you definitely bleed uh, maize and blue much more than I do. So that was more of a, just to bring up old wounds for you. Yeah, and, and am bleeding maize and blue. Thanks, Jay. Yeah, yeah no problem. Um, but no, that was uh, Wisconsin stuff this year. But um, in any event, Spencer, I know you're a prolific public speaker. I know that's a big part of um, you know your your work and and what you do. Um, so I wanted to talk about uh, you know I think everyone assumes that um, just because someone's a lawyer, many people assume that that means they're going to be a polished public speaker and that's something they can do and have no problem with. But in my experience, lawyers just like other people, um, uh, you know, have certain hesitancy about doing a tremendous amount of public speaking. They don't really know how to go about the process or how it fits into marketing themselves and their practice. Um, So maybe we could just start uh, with the question of why, you know, for a lawyer who might be listening, why is public speaking important? I think when it comes to business development, it's more and more difficult to get the attention of those with whom you're trying to work. Right. So whether you're targeting GCs or plaintiff side stuff, defense side stuff, it really it doesn't matter. People need a reason to listen to you. And we just actually got back from doing a two day session with a Houston law firm client where we did videos for two days straight. And something that was really evident to us is that every single one to a person, they're at a hundred year old firm. They said that people hire us individually and the firm reinforces what it is that we said. So they don't hire the firm, they hire us individually. And I think those who are out there public speaking are not only showcasing what it is that they know in the forum where they are, but it also adds a lot of credence to what it is that you're talking about in the sphere that's outside of that speech itself. So in other words, because of social media, because of digital media, we can't transcend any of that in-person stuff that we do. And that just wasn't the case before. So the best example I can give you is we used to be in a rock band many, many years ago, and we'd 
get these little pockets where we get pretty popular. And you being in Michigan or having you know, U of M ties, we would get popular in Grand Rapids and we'd go to Ann Arbor and we'd have to completely start over because unless the radio station that was in Grand Rapids was in Ann Arbor, there was no way for people to know about us unless you were a national artist. So now though, if I go to Houston or if a lawyer that's listening to this podcast were to speak in Boston, the people in New York could know about that by way of you amplifying the fact that you were in Boston speaking. So it's not as much about the act of the speech, which is a big part of it, right? It's the rehearsal, the knowing the stuff really well, answering questions from the crowd, but showcasing that you are in fact there. So whether people were there or not in person is almost immaterial in my, from my standpoint, because if you point to this source and says, say these people that you trust put me on stage, aren't they good enough for you as well? So I feel like public speaking is just that opportunity to, to showcase what it is that you know and, and have people understand what you do. Yeah, and um, if you heard a cringe, that was because, that was Jay cringing um, because he knows what I'm going to bring up next, which was <laughs> I was in a rock band. Oh, okay. And so awesome. Awesome. I, I know where you played in uh, Grand Rapids, probably the Intersection or Club Soda or Rick's. Uh, we were doing the circuit in Ann Arbor and Lansing. So um, we have more than I thought in common, so we'll have to definitely connect offline and share war stories. But um, after I gave up that career, like, so looks like you probably did too, uh, to try to eat and feed your family, <laughs> um, I fell into PR. And one of the things that I learned relative uh, or, or learned that I even really wasn't maybe recognizing that I was acquiring a skill while I was in the band is getting the gig. And so getting the gig, especially – in Ann Arbor, say, in your case, where they've never heard of you and you don't have the following, that's difficult. And as a PR person, then, I was charged with getting the speaking gig for a client. So could you talk maybe a little bit about how attorneys, if they're not used to getting the gig, what are some ways or some strategies they should think about so that they can find themselves on stage? I'll tell you exactly what I did. So I, I'd come from a, a Fortune 100 sales job background where I owned an eight-figure sales goal, right? We're talking mid eight figures. And the last year I was there, 2015, I had a nine-figure sales goal. So you cannot have a bad month, much, much less of a bad week. But I did a lot of CE for accountants and financial advisors. And we kind of transitioned to CLE as well because I was doing a lot in the 401k side, which has trust stuff, ERISA stuff, you know, all kinds of tax and uh, legal implications. So what I aspired to do when I founded this company back in 2015 is I, I waved a magic wand. I go, okay, what I'd love to do is speak on stage at annual conferences, like the Association of Legal Administrators, the 10,000 strong group of those who operate law firms, right? So I cold called their office in Chicago. And I said, hey, I'm just asking your advice. I know you guys do RFPs for speaking all the time. You don't know who I am, but if you were me, how do I graduate to be on that national stage? And they said, well, I guess first, before you do the annual conference, you do the regional conference. I go, okay, what about that? They go, well, I don't know if you could do that quite yet. How about a state conference? I'd say, okay, I can try a state conference. They go, well, maybe you should try the local chapter first. So what they did go, guys, is they gave me a prescription. So I went to the local chapter. I said, I was talking to the national headquarters. They said, I should call you. They're like, all right, cool. You must be good enough. They told you to call us. So did well at the local level, graduated at the state level, graduated at the regional level, graduated at the annual level. And then once you reach that pinnacle of that certain industry, it's really easy to jump to the next industry as well. So I did that with financial services. I said, look, I spoke at the annual conference for the Association of Legal Administrators. Can I not do the same thing for you in financial services? They go, well, you've been vetted by this other group that's very comparable to ours, so why not do that? So it's really just a matter of reverse engineering, asking people that question of how do I do X? And then most importantly, keeping them in the loop to say, I followed your advice. Here's what played out. 
thank you and they'll root for you. Like they want to put you on stage because they want to help you through the process. Yeah. And just to close the metaphor, you got to play the, you know, the 20 person smoky, right? Hole in the wall <laughs> before you could get the theater gig. Yes. So yes, sir. absolutely true. Yeah. And I would just add to that as well. Um, sometimes the, those small, I, I think in particularly with speaking engagements, and this might just be my own anecdotal experience, but I don't know, maybe Spencer, you have a, a different opinion on this, but sometimes those are the, if you're looking at speak, public speaking as a business development opportunity, those small rooms are sometimes um, the most effective places to develop those relationships because it is very intimate. Um, so I would just urge, you know, lawyers, though, you know, even if it's 30 people in the room, if it's the right type of people, if you have a niche focus to your practice, um, and it's the right, you know, it's a room full of 30 CFOs, for example, or some, you know, general counsel, whatever the case might be, um, dentists, if that's your, if you have a dental practice focus, um, that's very valuable. I'd say, you know, in, again, in my own experience, like speaking at the local, I've spoken at the national, you know, national legal marketing conferences and that kind of thing. And those are great. Um, but definitely the, you know, the local lunch and learn chapters where there's like 25 people in the room. It's where I've had the biggest bang for the buck probably. Um, but, you know, it's a mix of things and, and it just depends. I think it's all about knowing where your audience is. Um, and if you can get a big room full of your audience, that's great as well. Um, so Spencer. I think I think what you said is super important because yeah. whenever like we know that it, it, when we're on stage, when we immediately get off stage, the likelihood of that immediately developing the business is really low. Right. Like we yeah. need to have formative conversations after the fact. And what I found, though, is that if you are a speaker at any conference, regardless of size, right, down to that level of 25 CFOs or whomever, and you can tell them, you know, you arrive early, you say, I'm going to be speaking at this thing. I'd love to invite you to it. I'd love to talk to you about it. I'd love to find out what you want me to talk about. That gives you that. I find just a higher level of confidence as opposed to I'm just a random person like you and we don't know each other. We're going to try to find some common ground, but there's no real reason for me to initiate a conversation with you. But if you can go to a room and say, you know, I'm presenting, they go, oh, okay, well, that, that gives us an entirely different reason to connect. You're not here to sell, you're here to share. Yeah. And I feel like it's just a materially different approach that we can take when it comes to, you know, knowing that we are there to add value as opposed to not. Absolutely. Um, and I think that's a good segue to, kind of the, maybe the last topic, although it's a big broad one that we'll talk about here, which is, um, you know, I think the, the 60 minutes that you might, or 45 minutes you might be on stage or in front of the podium um, is, you know, it's important, but again, it's not everything. It, it sort of relates to the idea of, you know, when you think about written content, you know, it's just not the blog post you write. It's about how you repurpose that into different forms of content. Um, so speaking opportunities, I think, have a continuum to them. There's the, the before, the during, and the after, and each poses its own unique marketing opportunities or challenges. Um, so maybe you could speak a little bit to some of the ways to leverage those opportunities, not just for the time you're on stage, but, but elsewhere for marketing and business development. I think before the conference, it's really, really important to understand who's going to be there first. If you can get a list, that's great. But understand that the, those who are putting you on stage, they are putting on this conference, this event, because they want to look good. Yeah. So it's, it's less about shining the spotlight on you as a speaker. It's them going, look, we need to get butts and seats, right? We need to have people have a positive experience so they subsequently come back for the next one. So if you are a speaker and you understand that, it's really your job to help those who put you on stage look good. There's a couple of ways to preface this, right? And I think the biggest one, more than anything else now, is, is with social media. If you can tease out the fact that this organization is going to have a, an event, I'm going to be part of it 
but oh, by the way, there's going to be this other stuff as well. So I'm thinking in terms of maybe Twitter or LinkedIn, right? So grab the handles or the names of those other people that are presenting, those on the executive board, those who are responsible for giving you that shot. And you say, I'm, I'm really excited in a week in Delaware to be giving this presentation with these other speakers, tag those speakers so they get a notification that you're highlighting them as well. And then say this committee who was responsible for putting me on stage, thank you so much for offering me this opportunity. So that's that's the tease, right? Because yep. each respective party that's going to be notified based on your tag, they're going to reinforce that. They're gonna like and comment, share it, and they're gonna see that. And they're going to appreciate that you're helping them get the word out about the event because that's what everybody wants, right? But it's not through the auspices of this is good for me and you should come see me because that's what everybody does. Like I just got back from a trade show, 2,500 people in Vegas, right? Every single person who had a booth, come by our booth, 141. We're going to do this. We're going to have this giveaway. It's like, no, man, that's so self-serving, right? Think broader than yourself because we don't have limited space in social media. During the session, I think it's imperative that you watch other people present their material you record that and you share it out as well. And Twitter, I think is fabulous for this because Twitter is this, this lifeblood of what's happening live, especially at conferences. So if you can be in the crowd, take a short video picture of somebody, take their salient points off a slide, say, I was just watching Jay Harrington. He was talking about this and this and this and this. I thought it was great. And then tag the organization. The organization's gonna turn around and share that for you again. So it's you being an active observer and actively recording the stuff that you ascertain is important, sharing that with the audience. And then post-conference, this is, this is probably the best benefit that I can probably think of for those doing business development, is I want people to do video follow-ups. So much like you and I are recording this with Tom, Jay, on, on Zoom right now where we can see each other, I think it's really important that as opposed to the obligatory stack of business cards and some boilerplate email with a nice to meet you kind of thing, I use something called Soapbox. I mean, I'm, I'm really agnostic as to the tool, but this is from a, a company called Wistia. And you can record a, a brief video to say, Jay, it was really nice to meet you in Michigan. We talked about this. I'd love to have follow-up conversations if it makes sense for you. Because A, they're identifying a face and a voice again to the, the person. And then they hear from you and they go, wow, this is, this is kind of cool that he personalized it for me as opposed to dear name, blah, 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 right? But then also because we have analytics on videos, we can ascertain, okay, who opened the video? How long did that person watch it? And we can effectively lead score our prospective clients and then call those people in order based on their interest. It's interesting because you bring up technology and you know maybe I'll, I'll erect a straw man that maybe you can burn for us. But what do you say to an attorney who says, you know, it's 2019. Um, I have all sorts of tools, whether it's video, webinar, I don't need to be out, you know, traveling all over the country. My time is billable. Um, and why should I go and speak publicly when I have all these other digital and social tools in front of me? Yeah, that's, a, that's an awesome question, Tom. I think I, I usually point to data. And I would point to CES, which is that huge consumer electronics show conference right in Vegas. They keep setting record numbers which why would you go to Vegas to see technology when technology can be seen for free, right? But people want to collaborate more. And, and I think that the more that we're disconnected from each other, a la, you know, being able to work from anywhere, video chat like we are now, we, we long for that personal connection. And I think the same data points to conferences, like we, where we have a, a client in Arlington, Virginia, a big lobbying group, and they've gone from 1,400 to 2,400 attendees in five years. Because again, people need to be around their peers. And I feel like, and I'm going to use this as a verb, so please excuse me as a University of Michigan law graduate, I'm, I'm using this as a verb, but the more that we can niche down, right, and say, I or this conference, I'm exactly for you, people go, cool, like, I want people just like me, not to just commiserate online, but in person. So that would be my argument, Tom. I think just the, yeah. the really, really important points come when you're in person. Two, two things real quick is one is Jay would have said niche down, 
because he's <laughs> he's a snob that way. Uh, French, yeah. <laughs> and then the other thing is you brought to mind, you know, or you, you sort of evoked this, but it's sort of like the um, meeting somebody in person and in public is now the, the um, difference. It's the interruption where, you know, like the, the analogy is when you get a piece of snail mail, that's not a postcard or something, it's actually novel and you open it and, you know, 10 years ago, mail was an annoyance and an intrusion because, and we went to email and now email is the annoyance and the intrusion. So when you're ever, you're doing something different. Now the act of going um, and meeting someone in person or in public is, is anti to what we're normal, what we're normally used to. So it's different and it's new and it's, you know, of course it's authentic because it's person to person. Yes. And anything that, that necessitates a, an acronym by millennials like IRL, in your life, like you know, it's got to be a thing, right? So right, yeah, obviously, that's, right. that's validation there. LOL. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think that's right. I, I think it's that it's not an either or situation. It's it, Spencer. I think you you know you've summed it up well in in talking about the importance of public speaking, but also using the technology tools to scale your message, um, sort of comp in a complementary way to the public speaking is is kind of the most effective route um, to go. Um, and kind of maybe in, in a last uh, question or a series of questions before we wrap up, maybe we get a little bit tactical. I mean, one of the things that drives us crazy, and I know this from practicing law back in the day, and it now um, on the other side of it, um, doing marketing work for law firms and lawyers. Um, and I think this cuts across many areas of professional services, but um, the any thoughts on how to use tools such as like a slide deck to deliver a, a effective presentation Spencer because you know most of what we see um, before we touch it um, because you know we, we like to completely deconstruct these presentations when when doing design work for example but um, they're just bullet point riddled messes uh, what most and and clip art and just uh, you know abominations of um, design and storytelling so um, any thoughts on you know slide decks or any other sort of tools or supplementary tools that lawyers can use to make their presentations more effective I think Jay what you hit on with the operative point there was the the bullet points because yeah. you know we oftentimes and I don't care if you're a litigator who gets up in court all the time to take you from that context and put you on a stage in front of especially your peers is a daunting proposition. So it's, I think it's our job, you know, as marketers to talk through the, the confidence issues when it comes to public speaking. And oftentimes if people have a slide and it has six bullet points on it, they have an apprehension because you're supposed to face the crowd not look at your deck, right? You're supposed to face the crowd and say, oh shoot, did I forget bullet point four? And I skipped from three to five and now they're looking at me like, oh, you forgot something, right? So that, that's people's biggest fear when it comes to public speaking mm -hmm. is being made fun of or looking like you're stupid, right? So I feel like the more we can strip away, you had mentioned this, the more we can strip away anything extraneous or anything that's going to make you beholden to a, a slide specifically where you need to read that verbatim or mention, you know, in bullet number four, I said this. And the more we can use it as a visual cue for both ourselves as well as those who are consuming the information. So just a, a picture, right? Or a picture with a few words that then allows you to engage with the audience. I think that's really important. So I guess from a, a tool standpoint, I really, really like the newest version of, of PowerPoint with Office 365, where it has design ideas. So you put in a bunch of pictures and it starts to 
it, it starts to gauge, you know, do you want this to look like this and have these three pictures overlap to just kind of have a cool factor? So as you said, to, to escape from the clip art. And I feel like that's, if, if you feel like you're putting something that's interesting on the screen or gonna make you feel confident on the screen, that's gonna empower you to do a little bit better. So again, just removing extraneous language or just removing language entirely and giving yourself permission to just riff on the ideas and then have it be more natural. Can, and can that be trained, Spencer, and, or should it be trained? It's not natural for some speakers to just have a backdrop and speak somewhat extemporaneously about a topic. It should be because I think that's more engaging and it's, it's more natural and it's easier to replicate because it's extemporaneous. But yes. do you train people? Should people be trained? I think that the way I try to train myself, at least, to do this and the way I've conveyed this to other people is as opposed to thinking about a speech, think about segments almost like comedy bits, right? Like you can see the best comedians do this. They, they, they meander and get back to their original point and then they go on to the next thing, but it's super seamless, right? Because there's such pros at it. So if we think in segments of, of, you know, four to six minutes, this is where I'm going to start. I'm going to kind of go many different directions depending on how I want to describe this, how I'm feeling, maybe some contemporary stuff that just came out like the FLSA yesterday, right? And maybe I can mention this and this number. And then I eventually get back to my original point of this. And then I think we have a lot of flexibility because if we can, and Jay had mentioned this, if we go from 60 to 45, well, I strip out these three or four segments and I'm still cool with it. You know, I'm not going to abandon my speech entirely. So I feel like it can be trained, but people do need to rehearse those segments to be comfortable interchanging them in, in, a variety of orders depending on the, the context. Yeah, I, that's great, Spencer. I thank you for um, all of your insights today. I think that's a great place to close. Um, I would encourage everyone who's listening, definitely connect with Spencer or follow him online. Um, LinkedIn, where else is a good place to follow you, Spencer, and, and keep in touch with what you're up to? I think LinkedIn is, is, is great. Um, and, and all the social media channels, I'm at Spencer X Smith. So that, that's probably a good place. And, and Twitter, I'd like to have a lot of conversations live, you know, at conferences and that kind of stuff. So those, those are probably the two, Jay, is uh, LinkedIn and Twitter. Great. And I know you've written a book. Um, it's R-O-T-O-M-A, uh, the ROI of social media top of mind. Mm -hmm. um, that's available on Amazon. So I'd encourage you to check that out. And Spencer, we'd love to have you back at a later date if you're up for it um, to talk about social media in particular. I think, I know, you know, you have a ton of, ton to share on that topic. That's really the, the focus of your agency and, and a lot of your professional work. So um, maybe at a later date, we can connect on that. Um, but until then, thank you again. And to all of our listeners, thanks for listening. And join us next week. We'll be back with another episode. Thanks, Ray. Thanks, Tom. Yep. Great meeting you. Thank you for listening to the Thought Leadership Project. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, visit thethoughtleadershipproject.com.